Welcome to the Family Worship Companion, supplementing your personal reading of Scripture with a Christ-centered emphasis and real-life application for every member of the family. Assuming you have already read Genesis chapter 2, I want to proceed quickly in looking at this chapter that is packed full of details and information and application for us. And I'm just touching the surface here with you, but I hope it will be helpful. Well, having described the creation in chapter 1, we have a few more details in chapter 2. But perhaps more importantly, we are given some details regarding the the foundational fundamental institutions that have been divinely ordained and given to man that are there from before the fall. They are namely the Sabbath, marriage and work. And we'll touch on some of those as we proceed. Also in Genesis 2, we have Eden. And Eden depicts for us the perfect environment for man to flourish, not just in his work and labour, but also in his enjoyment of God and his experience of God's goodness to him. So let's proceed. So God puts man in a garden, an environment that is perfect for him to flourish. And some have noted, and I think correctly, that Eden gives for us a certain temple-like features. When you go forward in your Bible and you come to the tabernacle and the temple, you'll find that there are garden elements that seem to tie Eden and the places of worship together so that Eden displays and signifies the perfect place in which to worship and serve God. It is here where heaven meets earth and where man enjoys the fullness of God's presence. So verse 2 tells us that man's first full day is a Sabbath. So the Sabbath has two primary functions, one to rest and the other to rejoice. Rest and rejoice, or as some put it, cease and celebrate. And immediately then Adam is told that his most lofty engagement is not his own work. He comes in on the sixth day and his first full day is a Sabbath. Verse 4 gives us the first introduction to the structure of Genesis. It is written in a format in which the, the natural literary structure is in terms of generations. So these are the generations of, and you have a number of them, just list them to you, of the generations of Adam, generations of Noah and his sons, of Shem, Terah, Ishmael, Isaac, Esau, Jacob. These are all laid out through the book of Genesis. If you take a look at verse 9, we're then told of two trees. Now, lots of discussion about these two trees, but they function basically as signs and seals and have a very important role for us. One of them is a sign of life through obedience. The other one is a sign of death through disobedience. The tree of knowledge of good and evil taught Adam that what is good is good because God says so. And what is evil is evil because God says so. The tree of life signified to Adam what God was promising if he obeyed. But there's a vital part to these trees that sometimes is missed. And that is the fact that God is relating to man in a way that he is not relating to the other creatures. He is relating to him covenantally and we might say relationally. There is a relationship here, a covenant-based relationship, where God is placing these trees in the garden and they are signifying his desire 
for fellowship with man. God creates the relationship through an arrangement of obligation and promise. And it also taught man that he is subject to God, not the other way around. Verses 10 through 14 detail for us the rivers that flow out of the centre of Eden. Again, they're, they're leading us back. They're showing man that, that there's a place where he can meet with God. And that place is where life is, the source of life. We learn from verse 15 that Adam is called to engage in work. As we mentioned, this is gainful employment that he is appointed to do by God in order to provide for him and his family. And then verse 21 and following detail, the making of the woman. Uh, man does not see or discover anything. That As he names all the animals, there's nothing there for him. And God therefore makes for him woman. And she becomes a help that is meet as he fulfills the will of God in this world. Then in verse 23, we have an indication as to why women take the man's name in marriage. Uh, she is called woman because she is taken out of the man. And so Christian cultures have historically viewed marriage as a time when the woman leaves her old name and takes the man's name, signifying that the man is the head and there's a new family. This new family that is established is distinct from the families from which they've come from. Obviously, there's still a relationship, but you see from verse 24, the children leave their father and mother. This is being laid out as God's intention for all of Adam and Eve's posterity. So, we come then to application, and what have we got to say? First, we learn that Eden really signifies what it is that man is longing to return to. I want to read a verse for you from Revelation 22 which references some of the Eden-like language in our future. He showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, was there the tree of life. A lot of language there that is drawing from Eden. This is what man longs for, is where we're going. Don't lose sight of that as you live your life in this world. There's something you're going to. You're a pilgrim and a stranger until you get there. Secondly, children, I may apply this to you maybe more specifically because it's important that we learn this early, but there is no joy in idleness. Remember, boys and girls, there was work before there was sin. God calls man to work, to actually contribute something in this world to be productive with the life that God has given him. And you are too. And of course, it is to be measured when we're young. It's not so much work. We don't work as busily as mom or dad may, but we are to learn as we grow the importance of work. So don't shy away from it when it begins with tidy your room, make your bed, put the dishes away, take out the garbage. These are, these are small ways, not only in which you contribute to the family economy, which is a good thing, but also you're learning the importance of productive labour. I may also add a word in here for everyone else, that there are two types of work that we see here, at least, in which in verse 15 we see the long-term work, the taking care of the garden, that's long-term, and in verse 19 you have short-term work, where Adam is called to a project where he names the animals. So our life is divided up similarly. There are some things that are long-term, Others are more short-term. But life is divided up into these different periods. Thirdly, as we've indicated already, God requires that man, still to this day, punctuates his week with a Sabbath. The whole idea of recreation is recreation. 
And the best way to recreate oneself is in going to the Creator. And so the best recreation is a Sabbath that is spent in the the house of God, worshipping God morning and evening as best as you know, and even through the day in various formats as you may be enabled. This is real recreation. This is how we recreate ourselves, prepare ourselves, as it were, for the week ahead. It is not time for catching up in work. It's not a time for writing essays and preparing ourselves for exams. The true recreation on the Sabbath is taking a break from our work to look at God's work. And we have we have a double reason to do this. Adam was doing it because God made all things and he was then to rejoice in that, to, to rest from his own work and rejoice in God's work. Well, we have a double reason for that because it's not just God creating the world, but the new creation as well. We remind ourselves each week we can't save ourselves in a very distinct fashion and we look then to Christ who has fulfilled all the work for us. So we have even more reason to completely cease and to celebrate what God has done. Fourthly, there's a sense in which the rivers that flow out of the centre of Eden indicate to us that as they reach the ends of the world to provide what they need, so we go to God to get the Spirit and out of our bellies shall flow rivers of living water. We go to God and enjoy fellowship with God so that we are filled with the Spirit And we seek the fullness of the Spirit so that we can influence the world in which we live.